0: Welcome to this edition of the Morrinsville Baptist Church podcast. Thank you for connecting with us to discover more about our faith community. Feel free to visit our website at morrinsvillebaptist.com. I hope this message is an encouragement to you. Welcome Morrinsville Baptist Church to our message this morning as part of our online Chime service. It's um, mixed feelings that we're doing this. We're great for the technology, but we really wish we could be meeting in person this morning. But God's a living God and he will be with us wherever we gather. And that's one of our encouragements. We do pray that this will be temporary and that we'll be soon back uh, gathering together and worshipping our Lord and encouraging one another together. In the meantime, let's just pray as we just uh, commit this time to the Lord father we thank you for your word that is living and active we thank you lord that it is does not return void and so father wherever we are gathering to listen this morning we ask your spirit would be among us and work in us and through us this day lord may you speak to us encourage us build us up that we might become more like jesus uh, each day so may your spirit be at work and lord illuminate your word to us as we read that we may know you more deeply and see you more clearly and be able to for, follow you um, with all our hearts because of our love for you so be with us now and we thank you for your faithfulness we thank you for your goodness in jesus name amen well as we've been going through the gospel of matthew uh, since february we pick, picked up on some of the key themes and one of them was the lifestyle of the kingdom which was really guru. Uh, wrapped around the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus came to show us what it was like to live as God's people. He put on flesh and showed that uh, showed that to us. And then the Sermon of, of the Mount is about explaining what that looks like as a person who's been transformed by Jesus Christ. And we have to remember that he's talking in the context of God pouring his spirit out onto us because that would be pretty challenging, we all know, without God's Spirit, Holy Spirit, changing and transforming us. And that's a really... Key point to remember, and we'll be talking about the Holy Spirit uh, again this morning. He's essential uh, uh, in helping and enabling us, enabling us to follow Jesus. We're we'll just quickly setting a little bit of the background. Jesus has been demonstrating the kingdom, and as he has gone around, back in chapter four, he spoke about uh, preaching and teaching, and um, travelling around and healing many diseases and sicknesses. That's one of the marvellous things after the Sermon on the Mount. He healed a person with leprosy. Then he would also uh, heal the servant of uh, a centurion, Roman centurion. He calmed a storm on the Galilee and and his his disciples were amazed. Two uh, non-Jewish demon-possessed men were healed as Jesus went out of their territory for a while. He forgives the sins of a paralytic man. And so that evidence of his authority was the man was able to get up and walk and carry his mat. He healed um, a woman who had been um, bleeding for 12 years. He, he raised the daughter of Jairus from the dead. And then he healed a man with, um, who was not only um, uh, uh, blind, but he was deaf as well. And uh, that amazed the people of Israel when they saw Jesus able to do that. And that was in chapter 9 and the Pharisees noted then that this power must come from a source other than God. And they quickly attributed it to the work of Satan. And so then Jesus gives his uh, power and authority to his disciples and say, Just as I've been going out, I want you to go and do the same. And so they're out doing that and um, Jesus then connects his miracles and his mission together and draws them in line so this is what the prophet isaiah said and others about me and about the messiah coming and again just in the run-up to the passage we're looking at this morning jesus upset the religious leaders in um in a grain field when they consider what jesus was doing as work for his disciples and then jesus healing a man with a shriveled hand in a synagogue on the sabbath and they quickly took that as meaning that Jesus was breaking the uh, Sabbath rules. And so, quickly coming into conflict about rightly understanding God's laws. And so, Jesus is saying the evidence that he has the authority of God the Father is the miracles that he is doing and his care for the people. So, let's pick that story up now in Matthew 12. I'm going to read from verses 22 down to 32. So Matthew 12, to 32. Then they brought a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, They said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, men. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, even this age or in the age to come. So very quickly Jesus is facing another confrontation with the religious leaders and they're accusing him and that's on the basis here in verses 22 and 23 when he heals a blind and mute man and the people were, were astonished by that. Now what was significant about this uh, healing as in the one at the end of chapter 9 is that Jesus healed a not only a a blind but a deaf mute and we'll just come back to that in a moment and so the people were astonished to say could this be the son of David and see Jesus was affirming his authority and power here was directly from the God the Father and the, the uh, religious leaders there were being challenged by that and Jesus said at the end of chapter 11 I think, which uh, Dave Johns um, touched on is that Jesus power and authority came directly from God and at the time of of jesus's ministry on earth the people there in in israel had developed a, a a major list of signs of what they expected the true messiah to be able to do as proof of his identity one was healing leprosy and jesus had done that just right after the sermon on the mount another one was to be able to cast demons out of a deaf dumb and blind um, uh, person and because they couldn't speak in mute and so that was a pretty significant thing that Jesus was able to do that because how could you engage with a demon uh, when Jesus encountered the two demon possessed men uh, across the lake, lake of Galilee uh, they spoke to Jesus what do you want to do with us and Jesus dialogued with them here there can be no dialogue with a demon because the person can't speak Well, very much at the beginning of of this passage, Jesus is again in conflict with the religious leaders. And here he heals a man who is both uh, uh, blind and deaf. He can't speak. And and so Jesus uh, heals him of a demon. And the people are astonished by this, as they were at the end of chapter 9 when Jesus heals another man in a similar situation. Because Jesus here is affirming his power and authority uh, comes directly from God the Father, as he had touched on at the end of chapter 11. And so the people are so astonished by this miracle and others that they say, surely this is the son of David as as a question. Because by the the end of the first century, by the beginning of the first century, sorry, uh, the people there of Israel were expecting the Messiah to come so desperately. And they had a list of signs that they believed that the Messiah would be able to do to uh, prove his identity. One was healing leprosy, And Jesus had done that uh, straight after the Sermon on the Mount. Another was being able to drive out demons from someone who was both blind and, and deaf mute. Because if we consider the situation, Jesus went to the other side of the Lake of Galilee, And he cast out the demons uh, collectively known as Legion into the pigs. He dialogued with them and they said, what do you want to do with us? And Jesus cast them into the pigs then. Well, how could you call a demon to leave a person if you couldn't speak to it? And that's why it was one of the signs of Messiah. He would have the authority to do that. And so the people were astonished. And like in chapter nine here, The Pharisees, the leaders, don't know what to do here. They can see this is a supernatural happening. And because they don't believe Jesus is the Messiah, they have to attribute his supernatural activity to be coming from the prince of demons to Satan. And they say it's only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. That was their response. And Beelzebub is just really, it's a a term that's been picked up from an old uh, Canaanite God that they worshipped, and they just changed it to mean Lord of the Flies and attributed to, to Satan. And so they're trying to now say that Jesus' miraculous powers may not be coming from God because they, they won't support Jesus' ministry and his teachings. And that's the only way that they can justify how Jesus is doing this without saying, yes, this is the Messiah, this is the Son of God. And so they dig their hills in. And so in verses 25 and 26, Jesus knew their thoughts, it says, and says that every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. For if Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How can his kingdom stand? And so Jesus is challenging them and says, well why would I want to um, drive if I'm one of Satan's um, people? Why would I want to be attacking my fellow comrades, fellow soldiers of the kingdom? So Jesus attacks it and and one attacks their logic and one way to consider that is if you went back to the Spanish Civil War a a phrase became uh, famous called a fifth column when a general was approaching Madrid in, the, in, in that Spanish Civil War. He came with four columns coming from four sides. And uh, as he was boasting to a journalist about their victory, he also said that there was a fifth column of supporters, but they were actually inside the city. And they were a clandestine force. They were doing it in secret. They were undermining those who were defending the city and trying to demoralize them. And help sabotage the, the efforts of those defending the city of Madrid from those coming along, and in one sense they're, they're saying the same thing of Jesus, but Jesus says that's foolishness. Why would Satan fight against himself and Jesus, in the midst of this, affirmed that Satan had a kingdom which Satan indeed offered to Jesus. Uh, At the time of of, uh, the trial in the wilderness. And Paul says that Satan is the God of this age. And that we live in this present evil age. Even after Jesus has ascended. And so if Jesus had entered here into Satan's kingdom. As a secret soldier on his behalf. Why would he attack his uh, other supporters of Satan? It wouldn't make sense. Think of the All Blacks. It's a bit of a a silly example, but hopefully you'll get the picture. All Black's trying to beat Australian rugby. And imagine if one of the players decided he wanted to help Australia win. Although he was wearing an All Black jersey, he might um, drop the ball or, or make some poor passes that were intercepted. Maybe he might say some words to discourage his fellow teammates that we can't beat these people. They're too hard for us. In one sense, that's what would be happening in terms of um, uh, undermining from within. And of course, we all know that that was uh, that's a crazy example. No one putting on an all-black shirt <laughs> would ever want to support Australia or help them win. And so, uh, but that's the kind of example that Jesus is giving to them and exposing their foolishness. And then Jesus will go on the attack. And in verse 27, 28, uh, we know that Jesus has already given his authority to his disciples because what he did he then told his disciples to go out and do and he says how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man then he can rob the house and so jesus is saying here he has come he is the one who has the power to defeat satan and that's part of his, his mission and that's wonderful news and if jesus's identity is true he has the power to cast out demons by the Spirit of God. And that God's kingdom is now come in power and in His authority. And that's great news for us. And so by driving out demons, Jesus is proving that He is greater than Satan. He was able to go into Satan's realm, the strong man's house, the demonic world, and come away the spoils of victory that was his mission and since he could he could do this he was also able to inaugurate the kingdom of god being among the people and so if he was driving out demons by satan's power he could certainly not be offering god's uh, kingdom to the people that would be contradictory the fact that he was now coming to establish the kingdom clearly showed that he worked by the power of the spirit of god and not by Satan's power. Jesus had absolute power over the demonic world. And it was a matter of authority that his father had given him, as he said at the end of chapter 11, not some kind of magic or sorcery. And so verses 31-32 uh, has seen a lot of debate about what does the unfigurable sin mean? And a lot of ink has been spilled over that, and many a a debate over that. And so you can find books and books and books about these things. And uh, we're just going to touch on that uh, this morning. There's much more we could say, but uh, not today. But I think it is quite simple when we read the message. But let's just just navigate our way through that. Um, And so um, Jesus talks about blasphemy, and um, blasphemy is something serious. serious. It's slander against God and so the the jews saw this with utmost gravity um because god had revealed that to him and through his commandments um yeah, for he is a holy god of holy name and so here jesus makes a distinct uh a distinction between uh, slander of the son of man who is him which is forgivable and slander against the holy spirit which is not in this age and then the age to come, which is kind of pretty scary. I'm sure you'd all agree with me. And so what was he, he talking about? Well, we do know when a, a sinner um, turns uh, to Jesus, that their, their, their sins will be forgiven in a normal way. And when they repent and, and, and put their trust in Jesus. And so uh, sins of this this, this kind are, are serious. but if it, And if they're not repented and, and not forgiven, they will have eternal consequences. But Jesus said on the cross, uh, you know, those uh, father forgive them for those who who have done this, and so Jesus had a forgiving heart to those who had rejected him there, and so, so these sins are certainly forgivable so here's what it highlight three possible scenarios, and um, I like the, the one that I think it seems seems right and appropriate and sensible well some have said that um this uh, unpardonable sin could have only have been committed while Jesus was carrying out his earthly ministry and um, that the spirit was testifying to his work some of those uh, we just heard of earlier at the beginning when Jesus was doing amazing miracles and only those who were rejecting it then uh, did this apply to others have said that uh, uh, this is uh, that sin is unbelief and that when that continues until the time of death it means everyone who dies in unbelief, or at least everyone who has heard of Christ and then dies in unbelief, has committed this sin. And so it's rejecting the work of Jesus Christ. Another view, um, which I think uh, makes much more sense, is that uh, this sin consists of unusually malicious and willful rejection and slander against the Holy Spirit's work, who's attesting to Christ and then attributing that work to Satan. And a closer look at the context of of Jesus' statement here in this passage shows that Jesus was speaking in response to accusations of the Pharisees that it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. And so the context indicates that Jesus is speaking about a sin that is not simply unbelief or rejection of Christ, but one that includes, uh, firstly, a clear knowledge of who Christ is and the power of the Holy Spirit working through him. Secondly, a willful rejection of the facts about Christ, that his, has his appearance, that, is, uh, that his um, opponents knew to be true. It was hard to deny what Jesus was doing there. And thirdly, slanderously attributing the work of the Holy Spirit uh, to Christ. Of Christ uh, to the power of Satan, saying that this is the work of Satan, as the disciples had done, at the sorry, as the Pharisees had done, and so in such a case of hardness of heart, it would it would be so great, and that hardness uh, heart would be so great that any ordinary means of bringing a sinner to repentance would already have been rejected. Persuasion of the truth will not work for these people who have known the truth and and willfully rejected it. And so these Pharisees knew the truth. They'd seen what Jesus was doing and they willfully rejected any possibility of this being from God. And they hardened their hearts. The fact that the unpardonable sin involves such extreme hardness of heart and lack of repentance indicates that those who fear they have committed it yet still have sorrow for sin in their hearts and desire to seek after God, certainly do not fall into this category of those who are guilty of it. And so uh, a famous commentator, Berkhoff, said that we may reasonably uh, be sure that those who fear that they have committed it and worry about this and desire the prayers of others for them have not committed it. And uh, it seems really, really a shame that so many people have lived in fear, worrying about this particular sin, with no reason to. If you are concerned about this, it means that your heart hasn't hardened um, beyond returning to God. And we all make mistakes. We all try, you know, often turn our backs on the Lord. But so this is a willful hardening of heart and rejection. And that become, become so hard there's no turning back and so that's what it seems to be like uh, what what um, uh, Jesus is saying in this very context we treat um, the work of the Holy Spirit um, as the Pharisees were doing just a willful rejection and defiance is that we run the risk of that but anyone who is not in that boat you can rest assured and God's heart is always for people to turn to him know that that's God's default position Don't worry. And Satan wants you to be so worried about this that you take your eyes off of his mission, which is to go and make new disciples. And so he's made this such a, a distraction. And we know that the spirit testifies that we're God's children. That's an amazing promise that the spirit testifies that we're adopted children. And so we read the word of the God, it says, Those who have the spirit are children of God. And so God's spirit. Uh, witnesses to our witness, our, our spirit, that we're children of God. If you know that, you have every assurance. So I'd encourage you, it's good to study these things, but don't do that to detriment of missing out on the important things that God wants us to do as his children, and to go out and, and uh, to reach others, and to live the way he wants to be doing, not living uh, uh, paranoid and, and, schizo- and almost schizophrenic every day. Am I saved? Am I not saved? That's not what God wants for you or me. So be confident. Semi final point of Mark, make on that is some people have looked at uh, what John the Apostle said about um, a sin that leads to death. Um, and I don't think that uh, Jesus is talking about, Paul's talking about this, sorry. I don't think that John is talking about the same thing, thing here as Jesus. He can be talking about doctrinal error, which uh, John is doing in his letter. Um, but it's still at the end of it, it. That sin can still lead to death, unless you, you seek forgiveness. It's not a, I think, a hardening situation as Jesus is talking about here. And so, right at the end, even if someone has a doctrinal error, they can still repent of that uh, right at the end. So that's a, um, that's again not to be worried about. It's good to study, but don't be paranoid or actually terrified because. Terror doesn't come from God. Perfect love drives out fear. So remember that. And so, just as a warning today, as we read the uh, read this, uh, I, I love what it says in the in the letter to Hebrews. It's a bit sad, but very poignant. And there, the writer says, uh, as he talks about the the failure of the Israelites to get into the Promised Land, on time, he says. Uh, uh, we also had the gospel preached uh, to us just as they did but the message that they heard was of no value to them because those who heard it did not combine it with faith and so that was happening at the time of joshua these pharisees these jewish leaders were not they were hearing the message but weren't willing to combine that with faith and so that's what we need uh, to do and so we need to respond in faith we trust god we sometimes uh, I said to spend so much time worrying about our eternal security that uh, we will lose sight of what God has has for us. And so we need to combine that message, trusting God that he will walk with us, that he will lead us, that he will change us. And so we we're called to go out and make disciples, show the love of Jesus uh, through that. And that's an outward focus in our mission to those who do not know the Lord, not be consumed with our eternal security all the time hardened hearts however um often equate to walking around with both our ears and our eyes closed and so just uh touching on on hardened hearts and how that applies to us today is uh, jesus will gain warn in the next chapter i think chapter 13 about um israelites having a history of having hardened hearts and that their ears and will be closed and and their eyes will be closed and so the dangers of of a hardened hearts i kind of underestimate and so please uh, my prayer is often is that god uh, would keep my heart soft and i know julie prays that prayer too that should be all a prayer for all of us some of the things that might happen to us in terms of um having hardened hearts one is that we can be filled with bitterness and rage and it says in Ephesians 4 um, to soak in God's truth concerning bitterness and resentment because Paul says get rid of all bitterness rage and anger and slander be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other just as God forgave us in Christ and so it's really important that we don't allow bitterness and rage to harden our hearts we can also become isolated because we can grow angry and bitter and so we tend to avoid people and a clue uh, for this includes um uh, people just uh, avoiding one another with whom that they are upset with and turning away from the church i've been upset by the church the church let me down and then often distance themselves from god or anything to do with him. Now the church is a work in progress. We're not perfect. Only Jesus is perfect, and so we have to remember that our faith is in Him and not the church. And so well, it's important that we don't isolate ourselves. We need one another. We can't love one another, follow Jesus' command, other than um, by uh, being together in fellowship. Hardened hearts can also lead to a refusal to forgive. Have you met ever met someone who felt they were wronged and refused to forgive, the offending party? That's a sign of a hardened heart. And we can all fall prey to that if we're not careful. And I remember uh, just seeing uh, someone from an extended family like that couldn't uh, forgive. And over the years, their face became bitter and bittered. And you could see it contorted. Because they weren't able to get rid of that bitterness and, and, and forgive it. And it impacts us. Others, a hardened heart may cause us to be indifferent. And indifference can be an indicator of a hardened heart. Some folks themselves are shut down to God, the church, the Bible, even other people. Just remember David Peters' message about the gospel last week. This is really serious things. The biggest question of our lives is, are we right with God? Are we walking right with him? Don't be indifferent. This is the biggest question of your lives. If we find ourselves or a loved one uh, living with indifference, recognize uh, the warning signs first. It's not a safe place. Then talk with someone who can offer some godly godly counsel. Pray and be honest to God. God already knows your situation. You're not going to surprise God with anything. Another thing that can of hardness of heart is, is, is pride. If we find ourselves or a loved one living with ind- indifference, um, recognize that warning sign first. And uh, we need to humble ourselves and trust in the Lord. And um, uh, the, the, the pride goes before the fall, it's the first sin in the Bible. And uh, Jesus says, I give grace uh, to the humble, but I oppose the pride. The pride and pride leads to a hardened heart. Which final one. Um, people sometimes do a hardened heart refuse uh, to serve or to be ministered to, and Jesus ministered to singles and the masses. He served many, many, and miracles happened. Lives were changed, and you can uh, can you imagine missing out on that opportunity? And it's still available today. Often a hardened heart will cause us to do just that. Will refuse to serve. Will refuse being ministered to, and will miss out on Jesus. Jesus' miracles working today through the Holy Spirit. And with David and Greta here last week, we talked a lot about that and shared many stories of the Holy Spirit being at work and ministering, setting people free. And I said, I've heard of stories coming of people coming to faith uh, in their nineties. Tragically, I've heard stories. We all know. Even in our church or or people where lives have been cut tragically short. Tomorrow is not promised to anyone. No, we heard the gospel last week. uh, Again, reminded of that. You don't know what their week ahead um, holds. But I encourage you, trust in the Lord. Humble yourselves. He will give you the grace to soften your hearts. And he wants you to be his children, to walk in that. So do not be afraid. And so I, I found here as I was thinking about these, just a, a reminder from a Proverbs, which is just some of those important truths. Just here from Proverbs 4:20 and, and reading. "My children, pay attention to what I say, listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight, and keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them, and health to one's whole body. Above all, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Put away perversity from your mouth and, and um, keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet and take only the ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Keep your foot uh, from evil. And that's all part of it, Guarding our hearts from hardness. And... In a sense jesus shows that in the next few verses we won't read them right now but uh, uh jesus says that out of the wellspring out of the heart will come um uh, our words and uh, our words come out of whatever is already in our hearts and so um if there's good things in the hearts good things come out you know, especially in those moments when we're surprised and not expecting something and um, bad things will come out of our hearts if that's what's stored in there and so it's really important that we protect our hearts when we do that we have every assurance of uh, who we are who our father is and what he has for us to do now and for our eternal security and so let that spur you on to good works let's pray father i thank you lord for your word lord we want to thank you the ministry of jesus that god became flesh and ministered to his people we thank you lord that uh, we experience that today we know your holy spirit we thank you lord that he has poured uh, your love into our hearts and lord we pray that we would continually be filled with your spirit to walk in your ways lord if anyone here is is grappling with a hardened heart lord or, or fear i pray lord that they will just humble themselves and seek you and ask for tender hearts. And Lord, you love to, to bless people who come to you seeking your grace and humility. And I pray that many will be set free again by seeking you. And Lord, we know that the, the same sun, Lord, that melts butter can harden mud out in, in desert areas. And Father, we ask in your grace that you'll be um, melting hearts like butter as we uh, speak now. And Lord, we know that your word does not return void. So may your spirit speak into the hearts of everyone here today. And may we glorify your name. We thank you for our love for us, Lord. And uh, may we walk in your ways each and every day. For your kingdom and your glory. We thank you and bless you. Amen. Thank you. And uh, hopefully we'll be meeting in person next week. But uh, a lot can happen in a week. So keep trusting. Keep loving and uh, keep honouring him. Hallelujah, and keep loving one another too. Amen, and thank you.